0: We go to our knees praying with and for each other, for this community, and for the world. All honor and glory belong to you, O God. You have breathed everything into existence, and you live and reign over us all. May the offerings of our prayers and the sacrifices of our hearts be pleasing to you. Lord, we pray today for our friends John Nance and Eileen Downey who are in need of your healing this day. We pray that your loving hands will be upon them during this time of need and that you will surround them with your love and care. We also pray today for all the members of the team who left for Haiti early this morning. We pray for safe travels, for their well-being while they are gone, and for all the wonderful things they will do in your name on this trip. By the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray that lives will be changed and opportunities will arise to share the good news of your love and redemption as they serve you in this place. O Lord, we pray continuously for your people in this community who are in need, for those who are lost and lonely and who need your love and direction in their lives. We pray for those volunteers and all of those who will be serving and fly this week to reach out to the children of this community. We desire, and and your desire, is that none of them go hungry, that none of them go without a meal, and we pray that we can do this outreach in a, a great and bold and exciting way as we reach out to more and more children. Help us to be bold. Help us to reach out and share your love and grace with those who need it so much. Open our eyes and our hearts to those around us who are so desperate for your love. Hear these prayers that we have shared this morning as well as those that we speak silently from our hearts. We give them to you in the mighty name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, who taught us to pray, and we pray these words together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. As we continue our journey through John, we're going to begin this morning with words that I think everybody has probably seen or read numerous times. We're going to begin with John 3.16 this morning and read through verses 21. So if you have your Bibles with you, follow along in there or on the screens. We begin with these words. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son May God add his blessings to the reading of this word, and may we pray for our pastor as he comes forward. Dear Lord, these words are so familiar to us in the beginning of this passage, but we don't stop there, Lord. We don't stop with those great words that tell us how much you love us and how much you care for us, because we know that what that means is that you came to save us. You came to save us from ourselves. You came to save us and pull us out of the darkness that surrounds us and that we oftentimes choose rather than the light of your love and so lord just let these words please soak into our hearts to become part of our being and help us to understand and know better what it is that you mean when you call us to be one of yours we ask your prayers and and blessings upon pastor keith as he comes forward this morning to share your message to give us the words that you have shared with him for the message this morning. And we just know that they will be words of boldness and words of excitement as we lean into the great things that you have in store for each and every one of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good
1: morning. So I did get a text this morning, um, a text this morning when I got here saying that they were headed for their next plane. So probably right now they're on an airplane from Miami to Port-au-Prince, Haiti, and they'll probably land before my sermon is finished. It's about an hour and a half flight. <laughs> I'm glad you're awake today. Um, so, no, we're we're super excited. They're 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 going to do some incredible incredible ministry there in Haiti, and we're we're so privileged to be able to send them and to uh, have them represent us. As we continue to reach out with our mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. And mission really is what this sermon is about because this sermon today is about Jesus' mission. It's about the mission that Jesus had when he came into this world, and specifically the mission that God had when he sent Jesus into this world. And, and of course, John 3.16 is our most familiar Bible verse, isn't it? I mean, it's on signs at football games. It's, it's everywhere that you could put a Bible verse. Someone has put John 3.16, haven't they? You know, and, and, and it's important because it's, it's kind of like what Pastor Mike said last week. Martin Luther's words were the gospel in miniature. However, there is a danger that I want to caution us against when it comes to understanding the, uh, the scriptures. And the danger is, you know, what I like to call fortune cookie Christianity, which is to take one verse out of the scripture and make that your verse without understanding the, the context and the, the, the true holistic meaning behind that text. And I think that's a danger when it comes to John 3, 16. So what I want to do is just bring everybody up to speed on what Pastor Mike preached about last week um, so I'm going to preach his sermon from last week, then my sermon from today. <clears throat> Not exactly. But I do want to summarize. And basically the summary is this. Nicodemus is a, is a Jewish teacher, a Pharisee, who's come to Jesus by night, and he's, he's afraid of what his friends would think if they knew that he wanted to talk to Jesus. So he comes by night, and he says, okay, what's your deal? This is Keith's paraphrase. What's the deal with you, Jesus? We know that there's something going on with you. We know that, that, you are, that you've come from heaven because nobody could do what you do if it were not from God. And, and Jesus doesn't really get caught up in Nicodemus's accolades of him. Jesus doesn't get caught up in, in, in this. He simply just cuts right to the chase and he tells Nicodemus that, you know, unless a person is born of water and the Spirit, born again, they cannot see the kingdom of God. They cannot enter unless they've been born again. And and, and they begin to have this dialogue about what it truly means to enter into the kingdom of heaven and to be saved and to to come to that place. And, And Nicodemus is a little bit confused about that because he, like any good Jew of his day, hangs his hat on his birth, on his physical birth, because he's a Jew. And the Jews believed that salvation was theirs and theirs alone simply because they were good Jews. Because they were God's chosen people. And they believed that if they lived into their birth, right? Meaning that they lived according to their Jewish heritage and they kept the Jewish laws and lived the Jewish religious life, that that would lead to their salvation. And Jesus came along and said, look, that has nothing to do with anything. He says, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. And then he begins to talk about this new birth, this birth of the Spirit, this born-again experience that that we've all become so familiar with because we've had 2,000 years of church history to to think about that, and we've had had a lot of, of people's interpretations of that, but this was brand new knowledge to Nicodemus to talk about it this way. So he begins to, to expound upon this. And of course, today we, we enter into this text that's talking about this gospel. Where Jesus says that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believed in him would not perish but have eternal life. But then he goes on to talk about this. He says that God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. And here's where we find God's mission statement for Jesus. Okay, we have a mission statement as a church, right? To make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. But in this text, we find God's mission statement. And it's not found in John 3.16, it's found in John 3.17. And he says this, He sent his son not to condemn, but to save the world through him. So, let's just say it like this. Jesus' mission is to save the world. Jesus' mission is to save the world That's the bottom line That's question number zero, right? I I talk about that sometimes Whenever you begin to do something You have to ask yourself question number zero Which is, what are we trying to accomplish? What was God trying to do When he sent Jesus into the world? He was trying to save the world Because the world needs saving That's very important that we understand that Now, you might think that it goes without saying But I would say it does not because one of, the, one of the fundamental misunderstandings of, of, of faith sometimes and of life and of our current standing in the world is this, that the world needs to be saved. See, many people don't think that it does. Many Christians don't think that it does. I sat in a meeting last week with about 100 United Methodist pastors And there was a conversation brought up about this very idea. And and one of our leaders stood up and said, well, we need to understand that there are many people who who don't believe that God sent Jesus into the world to save the world from their sin. That that really all of that's been worked out and that the world is fine just the way it is. And there's this movement in our culture that wants to hijack the gospel and, and say that really everyone's okay just the way they are. Because that's what the culture wants to hear so desperately. The culture wants to hear so desperately that the world is okay just how it is. And there's no such thing as sin. There's no such thing as repentance. There's no such thing as atonement or or crucifixion or, or any of those things from God's perspective. Because, hey, God made the world and said it was good, right? Understand this. According to John 3, the world needs saving. It's important that we understand that. Because if we don't understand that, then we'll never be able to make sense of what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus here. Because Jesus is telling him, Nicodemus, here's the problem. The world is desperately in need of being saved. Did you see what he says in in chapter 3 verse 18? He says, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. That is the default which we arrive into this world as condemned already because of sin. The Apostle Paul picks up on this idea when he's writing to the, to the Christians in Rome. And there were some Christians in Rome who believed that because they were Jews by heritage that they had special consideration over everyone else, the Gentiles. And as the, the, the gospel is being spread, people were struggling with how do we relate to non-Jews in, this, in terms of, of Christianity. And, and, and did Jesus come to save the Gentiles too? Surely not. And Paul's writing to talk about this. And he says this, What then shall we conclude? Do we, meaning the Jews, have any advantage? Not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. So he's setting the stage, and he's saying that all of humanity, we're all in the same place. We're all under the power of sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Are we getting the picture here? Do you think Paul is being clear in what he's trying to say? As he's quoting the Old Testament, actually. It says, their throats are open graves, their tongues practice deceit, the poison of vipers is on their lips, their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness, their feet are swift to shed blood, ruin and misery mark their ways, and the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now, stop right there. Now, think about what I just read. That's thousands of years old. Doesn't it sound like the news? Doesn't it sound like what we see when we turn the television on or when we read our newspaper or we click on CNN.com or wherever else you get your news? Their world is full, full of plenty of demonstrations to the fact that we're evil, right? Now, I know it's easy to point the finger at other people and say, well, yeah, but that's across the world. or But just look in our own hearts. Look in our own hearts. See, I read that list, I read, the mouths are full of deceit, all this evil, and I just go, you know what? Let's be real. I have to turn inward and look at that and come face to face with my own brokenness and my own sin and recognize that I haven't sought God perfectly, that I haven't lived up to God's standard, that I haven't, uh, you know, lived as I should. Not one, and I can include myself in that. So Paul's saying, look, this is the, this is the state of the world. Then he continues, he says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law. So that means all of us, because we've all received the law. So that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world may be held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of of our sin. Now what he's talking about is the Old Testament laws that were given through Moses to the people. He's saying that look, these are laws that are universal for all of us, but none of us have been able to keep them. And we can't become righteous through keeping them. But it's these laws that reveal to us our current state. You know, you don't know that you're speeding until you see the speed limit sign, right? You could be driving down the road. I was in Arizona last year, driving down the road in the middle of the night, having a great old time, and then bam, one of those speed camera light things flashes in my eyes, right? $200. I got gigged coming out of a town, right? Because I was going 50 on a highway when all of a sudden I didn't realize it was 30 mile an hour or whatever. I had no idea I was breaking the law. I had no idea I was speeding. I I didn't set out to do that. I didn't say, all right, I'm going to be a, 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 you know, I'm going to get in my Prius and just make some noise, right? (laughs) It wasn't revealed to me until the sign was there, but once the sign was there, man, I was guilty. That's the law. Human beings were guilty of sin before the law ever came into the world But it was the law that god gave to us to show us not how we can be like god But to show us that we need god. Do you understand that? The law was given to show us that we need god because if we don't have the law Then we don't have a standard by which we can say What is perfectness? What is holiness? What does god require of me? So the law was given He says so no one is declared righteous in God's sight by the law, but rather through the law we become conscious. Okay, he continues. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by His grace, So as to be just and the one who justifies, those who have faith in Jesus. So are you seeing what he's saying here? Paul is looking back at the words of Jesus. He's understanding the gospel and he's saying simply this. The world needs saving. We all need saving because we're all under sin. And we've all received the standard from God of of holiness and righteousness. And none of us have been able to achieve it. None of us have been able to achieve. We are in a predicament, aren't we? We are in a predicament. It's a good thing that Jesus came to save us because here's the other thing. We cannot save ourselves. And this is another crucial, crucial thing that we must understand. We cannot save ourselves. See, this is the difference between religion and gospel. Religion says you can save yourselves by doing good things and by avoiding bad things and by performing rituals and by, by pleasing God through your acts. That's religion. And if you look across the board of human history at religion, that's what it's all about. That's the message. Go read any book you want to about world religions. Go talk to anyone who practices any religion and begin to have them describe what salvation looks like. Because every religion has some sort of path to salvation. Whether it's to become swallowed up into the collective, as Buddhism would teach, or to, to, uh, to be saved by, by, you know, Allah and Islam, or, or whatever it might be in the various other religions, they all have a path to salvation and it's all about what you're supposed to do but that's not the gospel did you know that the gospel is completely the opposite of religion the gospel says that you cannot save yourselves by what you do the gospel says that when you couldn't do that jesus came and did it for you and that's not just some nuanced little way of saying the same thing It's a fundamentally different understanding. Because when you recognize the truth that your salvation is a gift given by God, then you understand what Jesus came to do. Paul talks about it like this in Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. He says, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. I don't know how much more clear he can make it when he says you didn't save yourselves. This isn't something that you earned through keeping the law. This is something that God did for you. This is a gift that God has given you through faith. You don't take credit for it. You receive it. You receive it. So let's continue here. A person is saved then when they, by Jesus, when they believe. A person is saved by Jesus when they believe. This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying that when you believe in him, that's when a person becomes saved. Romans chapter 1, verse 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. The power of salvation is. Is found not in your own free will or in your own goodwill or in your own willpower. It's found in belief in Christ. It's found in the gospel. And aren't you glad for that? I know that I am. I'm glad that the power of salvation is not found in what I can do, because I would fail. I'm glad that the power of salvation is not found in my my you know noble birth, because because I have none. I'm glad that the power of salvation is not found in my material resources because they're not sufficient for that. The power of salvation is found in the gospel, which is the good news about what God has done in Jesus Christ. And when you believe that, when you believe that in your heart, the Bible says that you become saved. Look what he says in Romans 10, 9 through 10. He says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Saved from what, though? Some people want to ask that question. Because we're not sure what he means sometimes. Well, I'll simply say it this way. First of all, I think you're saved from everything a human being needs to be saved from but specifically from the penalty of sin and eternal death and much more. This is what Jesus came to save us from. If you read what the angel says to to Joseph, Jesus' earthly father, when he was prophesying what would happen in Matthew one twenty one, the angel says to Joseph, she, meaning Mary, will give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus. Because He will save His people from their sins. That was Jesus' mission. That's why He came to the world. To save us from our sins. Not just to give us good advice. Not to give us moral teaching, although He does both. Not just to show us how we're supposed to live, although He does. But ultimately, He came to save us from our sins. Because our sins demand death. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Every one of us who stands before God in our sin is deserving of death. Now that might not be the most lovey-dovey message. That might not be the most politically correct thing to say. But it's the truth of the gospel. It's why Jesus went to Nicodemus and said, Look, we stand condemned already unless we believe. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of Christ is life. The gift of Christ is eternal life, and that's what he wants to give to us, but not just to us, not just to the Jewish people. You see, here's what you need to understand. God desires that all people are saved. It's his desire that all are saved. Listen to what Paul writes to young Timothy. He says, this is good and pleases God, our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself up as a ransom for all people. You see, God's not playing favorites with you or me. God doesn't look at certain segments of our world or our population and say well I love these people but not these people. God's heart is open to all. That free gift has been extended to all and to any who would receive it it is available. Now you might say well if God wants everybody to be saved does that mean everybody's saved? Well I think the scripture's pretty clear. No. There are some that reject that gift. There are some that say to Jesus, No, I I don't receive your salvation. You see, a gift is only good if you open it and receive it. I can can hand you a check for $500. But if you don't take that check and, and deposit it in your bank account, what good has it done? What good has it done? See, the gift is available for all. But not all receive it. Because Jesus himself said... Some people would rather stay in the darkness and come into the light. They'd rather stay there because they operate out of fear. And they know if they step into the light that they'll be condemned by God. Isn't that ridiculous? Isn't that that crazy how human beings are like that? We're in the darkness and we know if we come into the light then we'll be exposed and we'll be condemned. But the fact is this, because we're already in the darkness We're condemned. See, being saved is about being being real and in relationship with God. It's not about following the right rules. It's about knowing God and being real. So we come into the light. We come into the light where we are fully known and accepted and where we are unafraid because there is no condemnation for us. And I was thinking about that, you know. I had, I have a, I told you about I have this, this Prius, right? That just kind of zips around. I also have, to, 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 on the other side, I have a Harley Davidson, okay? And a Suburban. So I'm not totally like, you know, if, if, if you want to make fun of me for driving a little Prius, just come look at my Suburban, okay? Um, well, this, this Suburban's a little bit older and it has some kind of, you know, things that sound weird and I, I, you know what? I, I'm afraid sometimes to go to the mechanic to get my oil changed because I'm afraid of what they're going to tell me, right? It's a 15-year-old vehicle. Have you ever been afraid to go to the mechanic because you know they're going to tell you that something's broken and you've got to get it fixed? Right? Have you ever been afraid to go to the doctor because you're afraid he's going to tell you you're sick and you need medicine? Isn't that ridiculous? We'd rather stay in the darkness, right, than come into the light and deal with what's real. Does the fact that I don't want to take my car to the mechanic, take away what's really wrong with it? No. I turned 40 last year. My dad told me last year, he says, you're going to turn 40 this year. That means you've got to start getting checked out every year. <laughs> Fellas know what I mean.
0: <clears throat>
1: I have not made the appointment. <laughs> you know? I mean, my dad, had, my dad recu- just recovered from cancer a couple years ago. And he's like, you, you, you are a greater risk. Go get checked out. And I haven't done it. Not because I'm, you know... Whatever But there's, Maybe there's a little part of me That doesn't want to go Because I don't want to Find out there could be Something wrong with me Or whatever Do they give lollipops For that Fellas I don't know <laughs> But It's kind of strange Isn't it How We would rather stay In darkness Sometimes Even though We're We're, we're still condemned Than come into the light And deal with our stuff Right See, there's people, maybe even some of us here in this room, that, would, that are avoiding dealing with our stuff when it comes to God. We know we need to change. We know we need to get back on track. We know we need to get plugged back in. We know we need to, to, to have our stuff churned through by God. But we would rather just sort of do this and hide than bring this stuff out into the light. And this is what Jesus is talking about. He's saying you're already condemned. Condemned. If you're in the darkness, you're not doing yourself any good by pretending that it isn't real. Come into the light so we can deal with it. And Jesus says when you do that, you need to understand, I love you. And you need not be afraid. Because when you come into the light, you're not going to find judgment and punishment. You're going to find salvation. You're going to find justification. You're going to find love. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 8.1. Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. So when you recognize that truth, you can be real. You can be real about what's going on in your life where you're falling short and where you're scared and where you have doubts and where you have questions. And ultimately we can trust God. We can trust God with this truth. I had a friend a few years ago who was just beginning to, to dabble in faith a little bit. And he was just starting to come to church. He's a very, very intelligent person and, and critical thinker. And, and and he, 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 had a meeting with me once he said Keith I got a question for you. I've read all this stuff I've heard all this stuff about Jesus and and belief in him and how that's necessary for salvation but I've also read how God is a God of love and and and, and he goes I'm just I'm just confused about how all this works when it comes to who's saved who's not saved who goes to heaven who goes to hell how God figures it all out And, and I don't understand it And so we began to talk about it and he had you know, some of the objections that many of us have had or the thoughts that many of us had. had. Yeah, okay, well, great. Belief in Jesus is awesome. But what about people who've never had the opportunity to believe in Jesus? What happens to them? What about someone who's grown up in an environment that hasn't heard the gospel or doesn't know Jesus? Or what about a person who's mentally handicapped and can't conceive of their mind? Or what about a baby that hasn't been able to believe? Or what about... and And he rattled off this entire list of people for whom he felt like you know, we're kind of outside the scope of of this teaching. It says, What about that? And you know, if you dig into the Bible, you find all sorts of things about how God chooses to deal with people based on what's right and what's good and what's loving. And ultimately where I where I was comfortable with answering him was not trying to be Mr. like theological professor and and say, well, hear about this and this and there are people that will do that. I'm not nearly as smart as they are who want to tell you everything about how everything works and all of that, here's where I land. We can trust God. We can trust God to do what's right. We can trust God on how he deals with people. But what's more important is we can trust God with us too. And what I find sometimes is some of those questions that we want to ask really have to do with our own fear of coming face to face with what's going on in here. Because if I can deflect my attention from my own sin and my own heart to somebody on some desert island someplace that's never heard about Jesus, then I I don't have to deal with myself. So I've chosen to trust God with what I can't understand because I've come face to face with what I can't understand. And here's what I've understood. I need to be saved. I've fallen short. I can't live up to God's standard but I believe with all my heart that God sent Jesus on a rescue mission to the world and he lived the perfect life and he died the death that I deserved on the cross and he rose again and conquered sin and conquered death and the grave. And God has given me this tremendous gift of faith and God has given me this tremendous, this tremendous salvation and he's given it to you as well if you'd receive it. Today, as we close, I want you to come face to face with that in your own heart. Ask yourself, where am I still living in darkness? Where am I not letting God deal with me? Where am I refusing to come into the light because I'm afraid? And understand this, God's desire is to save you. That's his mission. He didn't come to condemn you. He came to save you. Let him do it today. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we need you. Lord, without you, we are condemned And rightfully so. But Lord, your grace covers us. Your mercy because of your death on the cross. And God, we receive you. Lord, we thank you for this gift that you have given to us so freely. We did not deserve it. We cannot claim credit for it in any way, shape, or form. God, you've given it to us. And we can only say thank you and then live into that reality. So, Lord, may we each allow our hearts to be open before you that we might be saved. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Have a look at this video.
2: Oh, I would say that uh, Mary and Memphis became special to me right when we came through the doors here. Um, After the service, everybody welcomed us so warmly and honestly. And Immediately after we joined the church um, It was amazing how quickly everybody or people would call us to join the activities Which we have been involved in many of the activities since then You know, I just thought and they were always so supportive of us even, you know during the good times and bad times And they just made it a very friendly place to be Marian Methodist is just a very busy, busy church. And there's so many activities um, for everybody. I mean, from the youngest child to the oldest member of our church. I mean, we strive to do so much for the community with um, Vacation Bible School and the missions, um, Fly, um, uh, Marian Cares, just every, there's, it's just a very, very busy, busy church. And there's something for everybody. My name is Debbie Liscomb, and these are the reasons I contribute to the First United Methodist Church. Will you please join me in worshiping in this manner? With the ushers please come forward?